All right, um, let's kick it old school and close our eyes and bow our heads, and we're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get into it. Cool? <laughs> Y'all don't know what you signed up for this morning. I still got street in me. All right, close your eyes. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to do what you want to do. Lord, you won't violate our free will, so we say that we come into agreement with you. Father, uh, we surrender any wrong ideas we have about you, any uh, theological inaccuracies that were produced through wounding. We release Holy Spirit to your healing power to renew our minds, to remove um, church culture and replace it with Jesus culture. Father, we surrender any areas of our lives that there are walls that have been erected. Father, not a single person in this room has to trust me, but they do have to trust you. So we surrender to you this morning. Father, nobody's surrendering to me this morning. They're surrendering to you and the work you're going to do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would touch something eternal this morning, that we would not bat at the wind, but that we would leave here having touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor, and your family for having me in. That's not a, it's not a right to preach. It's a privilege. And so um, everywhere I preach, I'm thankful where the Lord has brought me. And I don't do conferences. I do assignments. And so I said yes, because I felt the Lord move on my heart to come. And that's why I'm here smushing my heart together with yours <laughs> for this region and this city. I believe that we are in an ordained moment by God. And so I wanted to be responsible with that and come. And so I'm, I'm very thankful to be here. It's not a little thing that you've opened your pulpit um, to a tattooed middleman. <laughs> I, was at, I was preaching at a conference uh, at a Dutch Reformed church. Uh, the Lord told me to go. Dutch Reformed, for you, those of you that don't know, it's pretty old school. Uh, they don't believe really in um, speaking in tongues or prophecy. They don't practice it. And they invited me in. And that's my main gifting is the prophetic and I asked them, why did you invite me in? And they're like, all of our young people found you on YouTube, and they liked you. So we thought, let's give it a shot and see if we can keep our young people. And I was like, all right. Um, they said, just don't do that thing where you tell people about their lives. Just share your testimony. I said, let's make an arrangement. If the Holy Spirit moves on you and you release me, it's good, right? And they're like, oh, sure. And the Holy Spirit has his way. And he moved, and he released. The pastor was crying, sobbing on the front row, 10 minutes into my message. And he's like, go ahead, go ahead. You can do whatever that is. And I'm like, okay. Thank you. My job in the prophetic is to confirm what God has already told you, which means if you're not talking to him, I might not have anything to say to you this morning. He's not okay with you having one-night stands with ministers when he wants to put a ranga on your fanga, Okay. He's looking for intimate people, people that are pushing into his heart. I get, a lot, I get probably about 350 emails a day, and most of those emails are, what's God saying about me? My first response is, have you asked him? <laughs> well, no. Okay. Don't be lazy. Go ask him. You have a dad that wants to tell you himself. But I've been asking the Holy Spirit, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you have for this city and this region? And I do have some prophetic direction I'm going to share at the end, um, pastor, for your church and for yourself and for others in the room. The Holy Spirit speaks. When you see me, you know, um, 
pacing and looking around the room. It's not that I'm hyperactive, although I am. It's that I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit often highlights people in the place of worship. Um, and so it's not that I'm just distracted. It's that I'm, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. But I asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to talk about when I'm at this church that I've never been at before? And so I believe this message comes directly from the heart of the Father. For this community, for everyone in here, for you to grab a hold of this, and I'm just telling you, if you can grab a hold of this message, it will radically change how you finish out 2020, and it will radically affect how you live in 2021. God's doing some absolutely amazing, miraculous things, and He's using people that are obedient, not people that are qualified. I'm not qualified. I'm the least of these, like... Yeah, we joke around about Dr. Luke because I have a PhD in biblical theology. And you know what I learned at the end of all that money and all that time and writing a dissertation and all that? You know what I learned? God's real big. Like, he's super big. Like, okay, <laughs> I might have a more artsy way of describing it, but that's essentially what I learned. He's ginormous, and I can't explain him with the best language I have. <laughs> But God's moving in the government. He's moving in the medical field. He's, he's releasing dreams and visions into people's lives to encourage them. Dreams, biblically, are the most common way that God spoke to people. If he spoke to wicked kings in dreams, honey, he can talk to you. He can give you a dream. It's not that you just ate pizza too late. It's that he's trying to communicate. The Lord's brought us into these crazy places where we're speaking into the lives of federal judges, state legislators, congressmen, senators. And that's not because I'm the man of God. It's because I was at the right place at the right time being obedient. Most of these relationships, I'm connected in, at the beginning of 2020, I got connected with the head virologist from the CDC because I had a dream uh, in 2012 about coronavirus. I didn't know it was coronavirus. I knew it was a virus, and I knew that people were using plasma light uh, and platelet-rich blood plasma in the dream to treat people that were sick with a virus. I released that word publicly from a platform in Minneapolis at a conference. I was like, I don't know if this is going to make sense to anybody, and I said it. And then I went on Facebook and at the beginning of 2020 when corona hit, and I said, does anybody know the CDC or any connections to the CDC? Because <laughs> who knows, right? You limit your own life, by the way. God's given great connections that you're too blind to see. And so we have to ask him to baptize our eyes so we can see the right paths. And so I put it on Facebook, and a woman emailed me, and she's like, my husband and I, uh, we're elderly, and we got saved, actually, in one of your meetings in Minnesota. And she's like, we were atheists. We were an atheistic family. And um, we got, you called us out and prophesied over us, and we received Christ. And she goes, my son's the head virologist for the CDC in charge of containment for COVID-19. Here's his cell. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, that worked. So we got into contact with them and started dialoguing about the dream and unpacking it. And through a word of knowledge, I gained his trust because at the beginning he was like, all right, my mom and dad are into some weird spiritual stuff now. What do you want? And I got a word of knowledge about his family. And I said, well, before we get into that, this is what I feel the Holy Spirit saying. And he goes, he gets real quiet. And then I can hear his voice is trembling. And he goes, you have my attention. Go ahead. So I told him about my dream about using platelet-rich blood plasma from people that have overcome the virus to treat other people. 
And so they greenlit it through the FDA, and the first place that they did this was in Houston at Methodist Hospital. That's the first place they tried this out. And that's not to brag on me, that's to tell you that they literally, I've got recording and text messages talking with the CDC where they agreed to try this based on a prophetic word from a dream from 2012. 99.9% of the Earth's population does not know that I'm involved in that at all. But there's a recording at the CDC and on my phone of me prophesying over the CDC. My point is, historically, God has filled people's mouths to end famines, to relieve suffering, to break people free from bondage. So what happened that we are sitting now looking at our modern Christianity, robbing it of all of its power? Why are you a Republican or a Democrat and not first a powerful Christian? Why do we have people more faithful to their political party than the church? We need to start embracing the power. We, were, we, we literally were called Christians. That came about as a derogatory, slanderous slur against people that followed Jesus. The Roman soldiers made it up. It meant, you little Christs. They were using it in a mean way. Like, oh, you little Christs. You little Christians. And they adopted it and go, you're right. We are little Christs. <laughs> He's in us. But the thing that separated the church from pagan culture in the first century was the fact that they were different than the culture around them, that they operated in power, they lived differently, they had righteous standards. It set them apart and it gained attention. And what's funny to me is in modern Christianity, I get phone calls from pastors all over the U.S. that are like, how can we strategize to be more progressive, trendy, and hip to attract people? <laughs> and I'm like, easy, open up the gifts of the Spirit in your church, operate in power, and people will come to it. They'll be attracted to it. It doesn't matter where you're at. But in order for that to happen, we have to actually walk in power. You need power to defeat darkness. But what we've got is atheistic Christians believing in the idea and theology of God, but none of the power, none of the reality of the breakthrough. We believe weird things in church sometimes. Like when you get a promotion at work, God, like Satan's going to attack you. Well, oh, you got blessed? You better watch out. You're really on his list now, brother. It's like, why are we associating Satan's power with God's breakthrough? Why don't we agree with heaven about our lives and not hell? He gets enough... Pr the, the good news is Satan doesn't get stronger when you get blessed. He's always waiting at full strength to kill and destroy and devour. <laughs> it's kind of a good bad news situation. But we were meant to operate in power. People need your breakthrough. People need you to buy into this and to really believe that when you pray for the sick, they can be healed. I've prayed for hundreds of people that never got healed in front of my face. Hundreds. To the point where I was like, okay, healing isn't my thing. I was preaching in Pittsburgh. And I was so like, honestly, internally like, okay, don't pray for any healing because ain't nobody going to get healed up in this house from me. So we had worship going on. And we just said, we're just going to release the love of the Father because God's love brings justice to injustices. Infirmity is an injustice. So we invited it in worship and we just started calling on and speaking in tongues, singing about the love of God. 
And I watched this man wheel up in a wheelchair. He'd been paralyzed for 30 years. His neck is severely twisted. He was in a car wreck. He had atrophied legs. And we watched his pant legs fill out and he stood up in front of his wheelchair. I got it on video. Like stood up in front of his wheelchair, paralyzed 30 years. By the end of the three-day conference, he was walking with one crutch under his right arm. Totally healed now. I'm just telling y'all, I've seen the dead raised, and that's not like, oh, somebody passed out. Like, <laughs> suspicion is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if y'all know that. But it's, <laughs> what's funny to me is that blind people and the demonized could find Jesus, but we can't. We still don't believe some of the miraculous things that can take place. I watched a man die, mess his pants, and stay dead for 15 minutes from a stroke. Died, pronounced dead. We started praying, and he raised from the dead in front of 350 people in Oklahoma at a conference we were at. We were baptizing people in water. We had over 300 people getting baptized. And this dude drops dead next to the pool. EMTs get there, he's dead, his wife's crying, and everybody's like really sad. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, why don't you pray for him to live? I'm like, oh yeah, like we can do that. Like that's in the Bible, right? <laughs> Most of us are like, oh, that's so sad. But like, no, get involved, like go over there. What's the worst that can happen, nothing? Well, at least you tried. If, look, if I drop dead, y'all better start praying <laughs> and not just accept it and be like, well, he was 43 and he had some issues. Like, nope, <laughs> you better pray, fool. That's what I'm saying. So we prayed and he lived. Not mostly passed out, not, <laughs> not Princess Bride, not mostly dead, but all the way dead. But what's, what's really stopping us from moving into the power that Jesus, it's an ascension gift, y'all. He gave it to us. Why would we not operate in a gift that he gave us? Why would we look at it and go, I must first completely theologically understand every aspect of this before I operate in it? No, step into it. The Bible was written for illiterate peasants. Literally, we've made it so complicated that we feel we've got, oh, I, you know, or, or, we, or we operate in shame-based Christianity and feel like we can't operate in power because we got junk. So what? The, the father of our religion Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all know that song? And many sons had Father Abraham, right? I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up with that, right? <laughs> Father Abraham was a pagan moon worshiper who was so faithful to the God of the moon, it made God jealous and God called him because of his faith. That's Bible. Some of you are like, I don't like that. It's in the Bible. That means you don't like the Bible. God chose people that don't have what it takes. He found a prostitute, a temple prostitute, which means she hung outside the temple just waiting for people to walk by and be like, Seth. <laughs> she hung out outside the church, essentially, trying to pick up clients. And God saw her and he was like, hey, um, will you hide my spies? She's like, sure. <laughs> she hid his spies and God changed her DNA. It says he made her a Jew. 
are you aware of the, like, not like you can hang out with the Jews, changed her genetic makeup and said, now you're a Jew. Her name was Rahab, which literally means, her name literally means to spread wide. That's what her name means. That's the translation of her name. And you read the beginning of the book of Matthew and you find out that she's Jesus's great grandmother. Some of y'all thought you had shady family. We keep disqualifying ourselves from operating in power because we're not ready. We think we're not ready. We have weird ideas in church that aren't biblical. They're just sort of superstition Christianity. It's stuff that just gets passed down through culture where we're like, oh, I sinned. I can't pray for anybody till it wears off. <laughs> I got to wait. No, I'm not going to go down and pray. I just, I did something I shouldn't have done yesterday and I'm not going to do anything for God until I feel different. That's so weird and unbiblical. God's looking at you going, um, you repented. It's okay, you little weirdo. Like, just get up there and pray for them. We have overcomplicated everything till we feel better. What does that mean? <laughs> but I'm telling you, power's been set aside for you to operate in. But there is a mathematical equation to getting access to that power. You don't just sit there and will it and go, okay, I have power. There's a formula to connect to your power that God's already set aside for you. And that's called faith. Faith is what power comes in through. It's your faith that gets anointed. It's your faith that the miraculous is birthed out of. It's your faith. And faith comes through intimacy, which means you want to experience miracles and signs and wonders, get intimate with Jesus. Because miracles, signs, and wonders are a reflex to intimacy. They can't help not happen. The more intimate you are, the more his presence permeates from your personhood. I walk by people that met. I was on the bus, the metro rail in Chicago with a youth pastor going to do inner city ministry. We're on that bus. And in that whole car, people start manifesting demons in the car. We're just sitting there minding our own business talking about what deep dish pizza place we're going to eat at. But we have such an intimate relationship with Jesus that it's permeating like a fragrant offering. And people just start manifesting demons. And we start delivering people on the metro rail. People getting set free and saved on the metro rail in Chicago. You can do these same things. Jesus made it accessible to you through the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus literally said, it's better that I go. Are you kidding me? Our beloved, the bridegroom? He said, it's better that I go so that I can live in you. Jesus died on the cross, which saved us. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes us feel it. That makes us operate in it. Y'all, so why aren't we powerful? I'll tell you right now. Why aren't we operating in faith? like we need to because of unresolved disappointment. Unresolved disappointment comes when we are let down, when we are wounded, when we are dropped, when somebody has hurt us and we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to heal that spot in us. It will affect how you have relationships. It will affect how you read the Bible. Cults have started. My first book I wrote on Destiny Image, 
talks about cultic behavior, how cults are formed, the top 20 warning signs of a cult. These cult organizations are created out of wounding that never got healed. And it wound up perverting the way they read scripture and started cults. And we do it all the time. This is the problem. An unresolved wound becomes a mirror. And you become the thing that's wounded you. I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like my father. The source of your pain has been trying to identify you and tell you who you are. But God, who is our father, has made you an image bearer. Why do you think the devil wants to mess with your mind and distort your humanity? Because you look like your father. We're image bearers. We are the closest that Satan can come to harming God because we look like our father. I'll tell you right now, you got two daddies. You got the father in heaven and you have the father of lies. Both are trying to father you. It's up to you who you're going to let speak into your life. Who are you going to let identify you? What happens is we get dropped, we get hurt. We feel the sting in our hearts of betrayal, of backstabbing, of being let down, of being abandoned. Whatever your issue is, it makes you feel unsafe, and that will affect your faith until it gets healed. It produces, unresolved wounds produce worry and anxiety, and that's what we're talking about this morning, how to navigate fear. Because God has called you to not have fear. People are so freaked out about this virus. And I'm telling you, it's real. It's a real virus. Um, but there's a lot of smokescreen going on. More than y'all understand. I'm telling you right now, five, ten years from now, information is going to come out that could cause a revolt because of the stuff that was pulled during this virus. I'm talking to people up as high in the CDC as the head virologist the head pharmacist. Do you know why they railed against hydrochloroquine? I had COVID. I am a diabetic that got COVID. And everybody told me on the news, on Google, that I was going to die. Can I just tell you all, I didn't. I got a stuffed up nose and a little crackle in my lungs and four days of treatment. One day of, uh, on hydrochloroquine and everything was better. Four days of treatment and the crackle in my lungs was gone. Came back negative. Now I'm producing antibodies and I'm immune for the next six to eight months, they're saying. Could be longer. I understand that it's a real virus, but we fear this virus more than we fear God. And the nature of humanity is we worship what we fear. And we become what we worship. Because we're image bearers. The thing that we look at, we become. The more you look at fear, the more you embrace and worship fear, the more it spreads. Worry. I'm going to give you the definition of worry. and Y'all tell me if this sounds familiar in any way, shape, or form, okay? Tell me if this hits home at all. Worry in the Webster's Dictionary is defined as this. To torment oneself with disturbing thoughts. Does that sound familiar at all? 
My dad, look, I grew up in North Dakota. I'm a Yankee. I live in Houston. I've been living in Houston now for the last 14 years, but I grew up a Yankee, okay? 20 minutes from Canada. Never had anything Cajun in my life. <laughs> Just grew up 20 minutes from Canada. We lived near lakes and rivers, nothing salt water. The biggest kind of fish we had were sturgeon, and they don't eat people on purpose. I mean, they get big, but my dad growing up, when I was a kid, my dad was deathly afraid of the movie Jaws. And he had convinced himself to not swim in lakes because he was afraid of some sort of water beast. Like there's some shark in there that's just, my dad's name is Barry, right? So there's some shark out there that God created that just has a hunkering for Barry Holter. He's just like, he looks delicious. I got to find him. My dad wouldn't swim in rivers or lakes. <laughs> Even at times in pools, my dad would swim quicker to the ledge and be like, oh, whew. any of y'all ever done that? You're like, you're alone in a pool and there's something creepy about it. And you're just like, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> now, my parents moved to Houston where we have Galveston Island, where we actually have sharks. <laughs> my dad's like, I will never go in there. I'm never going to go in there. It's like his biggest fear that he'll sleepwalk from Houston to Galveston and like wind up in the Gulf. <laughs> but worry is the enemy of faith. It affects your faith. It tells you that something is greater than God. See, if you live in fear and worry, it eventually produces an atheistic heart posture where you no longer believe that God's big enough to break through. And the problem with that is you've then raised your issue above the blood of Christ, which means your fear has become an idol to you. You're worshiping a false god. It's idolatry. No fear, no weakness is ever greater than his ability to redeem and save, ever. Which means that includes failure, which means that God's destiny is always greater than your failure. Because you were knit together in your mother's womb. And what that literally means when you break down the scripture, it means that God put his DNA into your DNA and crafted you, which means your dreams and your destinies from God are in your DNA. They're in your genetic makeup. They are inescapable, which means only you can affect your destiny. I'm just telling y'all, we got to rethink some things. But worry is the enemy of faith, and a lack of faith will directly affect the level of power that gets to flow through you. The level of power of God ebbs and flows based on your obedience, based on what you're in agreement with. I'm going to break this down for you, and some of you are like, is he going to read a scripture? I am. I'm going to read a few. Matthew 21, uh, verse 18, the title of it is, Jesus Curses the Fig Tree. How many of you all know that story? Pretty famous story, pretty well-known story in church. Um, in the morning, in verse 18, it says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? I want to stop right there for a moment. There's a lot of layers to the scripture. The first thing is Jesus shows up and in the season that he was in, that fig tree shouldn't have even been producing fruit. So why did Jesus curse a tree that didn't produce fruit when it's not even supposed to be producing fruit in the natural? There's a whole other message on that. Whenever Jesus draws near, you should bear fruit. 
that tree has a whole other teaching behind it <laughs> with the fall. But what's interesting to me is Jesus has been rolling with his disciples for a while. And it, they marveled, going, how did you do that? I'm sure Jesus, being fully God and fully man, he was in touch with his emotions as a human. Jesus had to get annoyed sometime and be like, really? How did I do it? Son of God. Like, we've been over this like a bunch of times. Like, demons run to me and say I'm the son of God. You guys don't, you haven't connected that yet, that I'm the son of God? The dead raised. You know, Jesus, when he called Lazarus forth, he's so powerful that he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he just said, come forth, every dead body on earth would have gotten out of the grave. That's how powerful God is. And Jesus is like, really? How did I do this? I'm Jesus. What I love is that we, we tend to idolize the disciples, which is good. We need to. But they weren't even saved yet. During the miraculous ministry of Jesus, before he went to the cross, the disciples couldn't be saved yet. So all these miraculous things that are happening, they're not even saved and filled with the Holy Ghost just yet. And you're looking at yourself going, oh, I'm not as good as the disciples. Baby, you got a head start. You're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost already. That's a major head start. They had to toil for a season. And when the fig tree withered at once, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did this fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what's been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Verse 22, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The formula is faith which requires healing. Some of you are dead in your heart emotionally because you're just battle-weary from surviving. And I'm just here to tell you, you weren't called to survive. You were called to thrive. You were called to be more than a conqueror. And do you know what that means? That doesn't just mean you win. To be more than a conqueror historically, it means you win the battle and you also get all the spoils of war. You get all the enemy's supply, all the enemy's money, all the things the enemy planned to use against you get converted into God's kingdom. We had one of the number one methamphetamine dealers in one of the states that I was preaching get saved in one of my meetings. And you know what he did? He was so touched by the Holy Spirit. It was a crazy meeting. The deputy sheriff that had been pursuing him for five years was in the same meeting and watched this dude come up and get saved in this meeting. And so I met with the sheriff and the meth cooker and dealer. And I was like, hey, uh, how do you, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to arrest him? Like, could you not arrest him? Like, <laughs> and he goes, well, he's my brother in Christ and we'll figure out a plan. So this is what they did. He went with the local sheriff's office and dismantled all of his meth labs that were on farmer's grain silos, right? Dismantled everything. Took all of his meth money, took it to the church I was preaching at, and paid for half of their new building project with meth money. What, what's funny, to, like I've met Coke dealers. I worked for a drug dealer for seven years, okay? This was when I was running from God. Another time you'll learn that story. But taking Coke money, and he built a church for $2 million with Coke money after he got saved. What's funny is people get religious about it. They're like, oh no, that's cursed money. 
Those are cursed funds. Don't, did it pass through the hands of nine intercessors before it was put in the bucket? What do you think it looks like when God says that he will shake the wealth of the wicked into the hands of the righteous? This is what it looks like. Literally, the temple that Solomon got to finish was built out of melted-down pagan gold from battles. If you don't want it, we'll take it. We'll build a, an amazing church. <laughs> That's what it looks like. But I don't preach anything I haven't had to live through because there's no power in it. I can't stand up here and preach another man's sermon. There's no breakthrough in it for you because I didn't actually tread the grapes to get the wine that was produced through it. And so this is my story of dealing with anxiety and fear. I met my wife. We started dating. She's way out of my league. I was unemployed. She was working for NASA. And uh, <laughs> she's way more attractive than me. And I could not believe that she wanted to date me. I was just like, you do? Like, I, I, I said that. I was like, do you want to go out to dinner with me? And she's like, sure. And I was like, really? Like, I don't have a lot of money, if that's, <laughs> if that's what you're after. But, <laughs> but we started dating, and um, you know, we got pretty serious. We, we dated, and we, we were together for six months total before we were married. That was it. But again, it relates to my testimony. I had a vision when I was 25 get, getting heart surgery of an Asian woman and of a brand new baby girl in a birthing unit. And she, I waited seven years before I found her in Houston, across a crowded room at church. My vision was of an Asian woman in a Michael Jackson wedding dress. That's weird, right? Like, it's a weird picture to see. And then a baby girl in a birthing unit. Well, when I went to church that Sunday, seven years later, this Asian woman turns around, that's the same girl from the vision, and she's wearing a Michael Jackson Beat It t-shirt. I was like, that's my clue. Like, that's my context clue. That's my wife. Now, I didn't get to go to her and be like, hi, when I was dying of a drug overdose and living with a lesbian and dating a stripper witch, I had a vision that you would be my wife, so. You want in? That's not a good pickup line. So I just didn't tell her. But we dated for a while, and then we got engaged, and, uh, you know, we got married, and to be honest, I recommend doing this before you get married, um, but I, I, you know, we, we just came back from our honeymoon, and I was like, you know, I had a pretty shady life, <laughs> like, for seven years, and I should probably, like, go get blood work done to make sure everything's cool, because, I mean, I would periodically, but I was like, you know, it's been a few years since I've been tested, let the reader understand. Some of y'all are too Christian in this house to know what I'm talking about. Some people are like, just why would he get his blood checked? We weren't all born saved. We got here as quick as we could, okay? <laughs> and so, like, I go get my blood work done and everything, and um, I'm nervous, just like anybody is until they get the call. And about 9 o'clock at night, my doctor calls me. Doctors don't normally do that. So she calls me and she's like, hey, um, can you meet me at the emergency room right now? And I was like, why? And she's like, well, because of HIPAA laws, I can't tell you over the phone. And she goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She's like, how do you feel? I felt fine until you called me at nine 
and said, come to the ER, like now my mouth is dry, I'm sweaty, I'm nervous, my pulse is picking up, my heart's racing, I'm like getting clammy and a little sweaty. I'm like, I'm not okay. And I said, just tell me what it is. And she's like, I can't, I'll get in trouble. And I was like, is it cancer? Is it AIDS? Do I have AIDS? What is it? And she's like, I can't tell you. And I was like, cough twice if it's AIDS. Like cough, like I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to make a deal with her. She goes, just, just come in. And she goes, but listen, whatever you do, she said, come in right away. Don't, wait, don't waste your time. And she's like, but if you, if you have other things you have to do first, just get here quickly. You know, try not to take too long. She goes, whatever you do, do not fall asleep. What? What is that? Like, I've got nightmare on Elm Street disease? Like, what is that? Like, you die in your dream, you die in real life. I don't know why I can't fall asleep. Now I'm really weirded out. I'm just like, I, uh, I'm dying. Like, I turn to my, my newlywed wife and I'm like, I have to die. I'm going to go die at the hospital. I don't know what, like, I'm starting to get all panicky and nervous. I drive to the hospital. I get there and I see my doctor and, and she's like, okay, um, so we did all of your STD testing and everything came back great. You don't have any diseases. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? Like some of us have had that moment. Maybe some of y'all haven't, but most of the people coming in here will. And so I'm like, okay, wait, why am I here then? She's like, well, your blood sugar is 780. And I was like, okay. So, like, what is that bad? I had no idea. She's like, yeah, it's bad. She said, I said, don't go to sleep because you could possibly slip into a coma. And I was like, oh, what's, what's it supposed to be? And she's like, it shouldn't be really over 90. And I was like, well, haven't I performed well? <laughs> haven't I really exceeded expectations? She said, when we drew your blood and spun it in this machine, it looked like strawberry milk. And I was like, oh, why? She's like, because there was so much fat and sugar in your blood. I was like, okay. She's like, you are a type two diabetic and you're gonna have to take, she wrote me a prescription for seven oral medications and for two types of insulin, one that's a fast acting and one that's a long lasting. Gave me a blood checker and, but didn't tell me about low blood sugar. Like I didn't meet with an educator right away. Um, this, my doctor is like this tall and she's a Vietnamese lady. I can barely understand her, but she's great. And so like, she, a lot's lost in translation when I meet with her. I should pick somebody else, but I like her. She's just sassy and nice. Um, one time when I was worried about, like I was dealing with anxiety and she was like, I have, I have a secret for you. And I was like, what? She goes, the secret to life is that nobody gets out alive. And I was like, okay, I'll keep coming to you. I like you. So I started taking this medicine. I started having low blood sugar episodes, getting hospitalized for low blood sugar, not knowing what to do, how to take care of it. Started learning. So I went, when I went home, I started doing um, research. And I don't know why you think you're an internet doctor, but you are not an internet doctor. Okay, let me just help somebody in this room. Google does not make you an MD. And I went on there and I was like, good tips for first time diabetics. Like, so I'm going on there and it's like, you'll die 30 years early. Like that's the first article that popped up and I was like, oh no. 
Like, I'm 30 now at the time. I got days left. The next article pulls up and says that they chop your legs off. And I'm like, that's part of it? They take your legs? Why? Like, I just think that somebody's going to show up at my door and be like, we heard you're diabetic. We're here for your legs. So <laughs> if you could just hold still, please. And so I came into a covenant with the spirit of fear. It began to dictate where I went, what I did, how I lived. And I started having what's called panic attacks. I didn't know what they were. I was on a public bus going downtown for work, and I jumped up because I couldn't get the idea out of my head that I'm going to die. And so I jumped up on the bus and I said, I'm going to die! I'm dying! I started yelling on this bus, and it's a 246 bus in Houston, and there's this mean, big old black lady that drove this bus, and she never put up with sass from anybody. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. She pulled over on Highway 45. She goes, get off my bus. Honey, I ain't got time for the paperwork. They kicked me off the bus. <laughs> I called my wife and I'm like, I'm dying, I'm dying. She drives 40 minutes to come get me, takes me to the hospital in Pasadena, Texas. I'm still saying I'm dying. I walk into the ER, I'm like, I'm dying, oh, I'm dying. And they hook me up to machines and everything and they're like, hey, you're actually not dying. It's like the longest death ever, by the way, that you're taking. And then they give me this pill that like after five minutes makes me feel amazing. <laughs> and I wasn't worried anymore. And I didn't know that I was having panic attacks. So I found out about that. I started, well, I'd go preach places. I'm traveling full time preaching for healing in covenant with the spirit of fear. So I'm like navigating on my phone. Like when I go preach it, like if I preached at this church during that time, my phone would be mapped automatically to the closest emergency room because I was fearful of dying. My wife all of a sudden says this to me, babe, we need to talk. And I was like, uh-oh. As a dude, that's never a great sign when your wife's like, we need to talk. It usually doesn't follow with, I just think you're amazing and I want you to know you're doing a great job. She goes, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant? I'm pregnant. Okay. So I stopped worrying about diabetes because I was so, we were told we couldn't medically have children. And here we are pregnant. And so I stopped worrying about diabetes. I stopped worrying about all that so much. And then a few months into it, my wife loses the pregnancy. I'm preaching actually when it happens. And I immediately hear the enemy when I'm driving home. Because see, Satan is an opportunist. And he loves to wait for the worst moment to try to get into your brain. Your weakest moment, that's when he's, he smells it and he starts hunting. But I'm driving home, and this is what I hear. Your baby's dead. I would never do that to you. Aren't you one of his boys? Aren't you one of God's boys? And he can't keep a baby alive inside your wife? That doesn't seem very godly. You know, if you just worshiped me, I would never do that to you. I'd make you one of the most well-respected psychics in the US. You would be honored, you'd have money, you'd have notoriety, and I wouldn't do things like this. I mean, your God really is into cruelty. He immediately started talking. I didn't have the energy to like leap into this great intercession. I just said, the name of Jesus. With, with tears rolling down my face, I just said, Jesus. Like that silence fell in my car.
his voice was instantly silenced. I walked inside the house, found my wife laying on the bathroom floor, all the blood, all the stuff, took her to the hospital. I sat on the foot of the bed at home. They kept her overnight. They did a DNC and all that, made her ready. And I'm sitting on the foot of my bed. She asked me to go home. Her mom came to be with her. And I'm sitting on the foot of the bed crying. And I look up to heaven and I said, you need to start explaining to me. Because I didn't sign up for this. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as soon as I said that. And he said, Luke, I could tell you why your wife lost the baby. If you want to know. If you want to know the actual reason why your wife lost this child, I can tell you. But I just want you to know you have two options here. I can tell you, but answers don't fix pain. He said, or I can hold you until your heart understands, until you're comforted. And I realized answers don't fix pain. You don't need to know why you were molested. You don't need to know why your father left or why your mother couldn't get off drugs or why you were given up or why they cheated on you or why they left you. That doesn't answer. That, that doesn't fix the pain. The comforter fixes the pain. So I received it. My wife and I both did. And I went through a terrible season of fear again because of my disappointment, thinking I had every side effect of every medication I was taking. Y'all ever do that? You Google the side effects? And I was like, I convinced myself I had every side effect of every medication. Even the really exotic ones that were like, if you're ever orbiting Mars and are exposed to gamma radiation, you might grow a tail feather. <laughs> My poor wife, I'm like, would you please look? I just, I feel something, there's something going on. I was driving her nuts. She announces again, a month after missing, miscarrying the baby, she said, I'm pregnant again. Now we're freaked out because they told us not to do that. They're like, you can't get pregnant a month later. That's really dangerous. We didn't know, actually, until we went in for our checkup and she was already pregnant. They're like, you shouldn't be pregnant right now. So I was fearful. I spoke at a, str a string of churches. Um, my wife was laid off from NASA. Obama was in office, and he cut funding to NASA. So 75% of the people at NASA got laid off in Houston, and including my wife. And so now we're just depending on full-time traveling ministry to pay the mortgage and car payments and all the bills. We don't you know, go around and say, well, you know, if you don't pay us how much we need, we're not coming. We don't do that, we just say, we'll come. And I preached at a, a string of churches over the course of two weeks and um, made $75. We broke their records in attendance. Some of these churches I preached at, we had over 3,000 people show up. Some just, this is how God works with justice. Those churches actually got shut down by the AG because they all failed their audits, finding out that they were embezzling from guest speakers and from the church. So if man wrongs you, God will make it right. And God has. Any way that we've been robbed, God has made it up. But both of our cars broke down, miscarriage, pregnant again. Now we're getting pink slips from our mortgage company saying, you have uh, 30 days to vacate the premises because you haven't paid your mortgage. It's over, like we're losing everything. And I'm in the bathroom looking in the mirror, having a very Job moment, crying and looking in the mirror going, why have you forsaken me? 
and he spoke to me, and I started crying, and the Lord spoke to me and said, give up. I was like, no. Luke, surrender. No, you let me get sick. Surrender. You let my baby die. Surrender. We're losing our house. And then it hit me. <laughs> the reason I was even under those kind of situations was because I was trying to control my life. And I wasn't trusting him anymore. I'd lost my faith in trusting him that he knew what he was doing. And I did. I said, Lord, I surrender. Forgive me. And right when I said that, I got an email notification from our website. Some random business owner I had never met in my life found me on YouTube and heard me preach and sent me a check for $10,000. Wow. Like directly to my bank, right? So I was like, oh, we're saved. Like we can fix our cars, get caught up on our mortgage, be okay. And God kept opening doors. We went to the mechanic to fix the cars. The mechanic's like, I'll tell you what, I'll take you to lunch. And I'm like, all right, I don't really know you. That's kind of weird. And so he takes me to lunch and he's like, um, you don't know who we are, but my dad and I own the garage that you brought your car to. And um, you spoke at a drug rehab center last year and you led my brother to Christ who was a meth addict. And he got restored and healed and restored back to his wife and family. Everything got put back together. He goes, and he's, he hasn't looked back. He's been sober for one full year. He goes, and so for as long as you're in ministry, we'll fix your cars for free. <laughs> I realized that I was controlling everything. So the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know, I had this breakthrough for you six months ago, but you wouldn't get out of your own way. He said, you actually delayed your blessing through control. He said, because I can't bless witchcraft. Control is witchcraft. So he made things right. Matthew 6.25 says this. Do not be anxious. <laughs> That's the title. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So we learn right there. If I could have somebody come up and play keys, that would be great. So we learn in Matthew 6.25 to not worry. He says, don't be anxious. Don't let your vision fool you. Have your eyes baptized to see what's really going on. But as much as we joke around about Dr. Luke and titles and all that stuff, I did come to you today as Dr. Luke. I came to you as a physician. And I'm about to give you a prescription. This is a prescription for what you're dealing with. Amen. For worry, anxiety, and fear. It's okay to be wise. It's not okay to fear. Yes. It's okay to be responsible. It's not okay to lay awake at night in your bed, fearful of someone you love dying. And I promise this prescription has no negative side effects. It's Philippians 4, 6. This is your answer. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What are the two areas that are under attack when you're stressed out? Your heart and your mind. You feel crazy and you think crazy things. It's important that we submit them to the perfect peace of Jesus that's already been provided for you. But it's important to know what the Word of God says, not just in, in its actual verbiage, but doing word studies and understanding the depth of Scripture, what words mean. It's important to know what words mean, amen? Because you could say through prayer and supplication, give thanksgiving, but what does that really mean? So prayer in the Greek doesn't mean to pray, it means to worship. The moment stress, anxiety, and fear hit your life, put some worship music on. Turn your brain off and let that worship music begin to wash over you. You will feel an amazing amount of relief from your stress and your anxiety. Number two, it says, with supplication, which means, in the Greek, petitioning prayers, which means focused prayer, an assassin-like focus on a target. Where you're not just like, Lord, bless the neighbor, Lord, bless, you know, bless the mechanic down the street. But where you're like praying with focus, Lord, I rebuke the abuse that I was under. I rebuke this disease. I, you have to say it. It wasn't enough for Ezekiel to just walk around the valley of dry bones. He was commanded to open his mouth. He had to open his mouth and prophesy that it would change. Not just pray, I hope it gets better, but say, let these bones come together. Let them live. Some of y'all have been silent because of your depression and your anxiety and your disappointment. You've been silent because it takes too much energy to open your mouth and keep fighting. But I'm telling you, you are on the cusp of the valley of dry bones, which is in and of itself a frightening image. But I'll tell you this, it's also an encouraging one because it means that that's an army waiting to be risen. The third and most powerful compound to this prescription from Philippians 4, 6 is thanksgiving. See, an unresolved wound or unresolved disappointment produces entitlement where you were wronged and now you believe you're owed something. The problem with that is that entitlement is related to poverty. But thanksgiving is related to wealth. Not just, not just, when I'm talking about wealth, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about wholeness, emotional wholeness, spiritual wholeness, mental wholeness, physical wholeness. The spirit of wealth is not just financial resources, although it does in, encapsulate that. It has to do with total sozo. Thanksgiving is the key to breaking off worry. The truth is I should have been thankful I had a house to lose. I should have been thankful I had two cars that could break down. I wasn't thankful. But when I entered a season of repentance and godly sorrow, he restored me and renewed my thankfulness. Where now a day does not go by that I don't thank him for what I have. I should have been dead at 25 Six and a half hour heart surgery, I almost died through that. My heart was beating at 244 beats per minute for over two hours. They said I shouldn't have survived that. 
but God had other plans. And I lived on that table in that emergency room, and I lived after that surgery for your benefit. This is how much God loves you, that he would send some guy you don't know to speak to your heart about a God who does know. It's for your benefit. And I just want you to know that there's people that are waiting for you to become their benefit. Somebody's breakthrough is on the other side of your obedience. Somebody's breakthrough is on the other side of you getting over the pain. I want you all to close your eyes. I've got to, I want to just do this before we go any further, just with every head bowed and eye closed. If you're in this room this morning and you're dealing with worry and anxiety and unresolved disappointment, it's not a sin issue, okay? So don't be fearful or prideful, okay? It's not about sin, but if you're in a fearful place, if you're wrestling with fear, wrestling to believe that God enjoys you, wrestling with your disappointment, with every head bowed and eye closed, right where you're at, if that's you, and you want breakthrough this morning, just lift your hand right where you're at. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, you can all put your hands down. I'm going to lead the room in a time of prayer, and then I'm going to give an altar call at the end here too, but I've just got a few prophetic things I've got to get through. I'm trying to get through this as fast as I can, but while honoring the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, we'll still beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want everybody in the room to repeat after me. A lot of hands went up for people dealing with anxiety and fear, which is rightfully so. We're in a crazy time, uncertain times. Um, but I want the room to repeat after me. Jesus, I break my agreement with a covenant of fear. I make a new agreement with the covenant of Christ. Jesus, I surrender my disappointment. I surrender my fear. Jesus, I receive your perfect peace. I will only worship you. I will not worship my fear. I will not live in the past. I will look forward. In the name of Jesus, amen. Keep your heads bowed. Keep your eyes closed.